This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. There was a point at which during the negotiations they were considering changing the way inflation is calculated for seniors. That's Deborah Whitman of AARP, CARP's American counterpart, explaining how American Zoomers dodged a bullet when Congress steered away from the fiscal cliff earlier this week. She joins me later to tell us what big problems still lie ahead for older Americans. Plus, it's the beginning of a new year, and if you're like me, you've made a hefty list of resolutions. What are the best strategies for keeping them? Psychologist Dr. Oren Amate will be here with a few tips. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. January is Alzheimer Awareness Month. This year's theme is stigma. A recent poll finds 4 in 10 people with dementia feel that others avoided them or treated them differently after their diagnosis. Here's Mimi Lowy-Young, CEO of the Alzheimer Society of Canada. This disease um, now affects 740. 47,000 people in Canada, and we want to be sure that, that people can live their lives to the fullest uh, without uh, people seeing them, the disease, seeing the individual who really should be living uh, with dignity and respect. What are your financial priorities for 2013? It seems most Canadians are more concerned with death reduction these days than retirement planning. A new poll conducted by Harris Decima for CIBC found 17% of respondents chose debt reduction as their main financial priority in 2013. It's the third year in a row this topped the list. Building savings came in second, followed by managing day-to-day spending. Retirement planning was well down the list in fourth place. She's won an Oscar and several other awards and even been knighted. Now, Dame Helen Mirren also has a star on Hollywood's Walk of Fame. I'm so very, very proud to be henceforth walked upon, have fries dropped upon, maybe even be peed upon, by future generations of tourists, Angelinos and their dogs. But please, please, no chewing gum. Mirren's star is beside fellow royalty player Colin Firth, who won an Oscar for The King's Speech. Mirren says lying next to Colin Firth is something she's been wanting to do for a very long time. And finally, a new coffee table book on the Beatles is being released. Photographer Henry Grossman took pictures for Time magazine back in the 60s when he was in his late 20s. Now, at age 76, he's released a book of the photographs he took of the Beatles. It's called Places I Remember, and it's a boxed 528-page silver-edged brick that weighs 15 pounds. There are about a 1,000 photographs, 
and it costs $495. It's a collector's item. There are only 1,200 copies. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. The world watched nervously as U.S. lawmakers averted the so-called fiscal cliff earlier this week. If they had not been successful, American Zoomers would have been particularly hard hit. For a look at how the new tax law leaves older Americans, I reached Deborah Whitman of AARP. What kind of a bullet did older Americans dodge with this? Um, For the most part, they dodged bullets. There was a point at which during the negotiations... They were considering changing the way inflation is calculated for seniors, moving to a measure called the chain CPI, which over time would cut Social Security benefits, you know, little bites until it was a big bite. And by the time you're 90, it would have taken a month's worth of income away. If you had gone over the fiscal cliff, the payments to doctors would have been cut. And a lot of people were worried doctors would either no longer participate in Medicare or they would have to wait longer and it would be difficult from that point of view. That's true. Years ago in the 1990s, they set up a process to slowly cut payments to doctors. But each year, Congress sort of undoes it. Um, At this point, if they didn't undo it, it would have been about a 30% cut to doctors' payments. And so that was also included in the fiscal cliff package in order to make sure that, you know, doctors didn't see these huge rate changes for Medicare, which, you know, many claimed would discourage them from taking older patients. All in all, I think, you know, we were concerned about cuts to Medicare. Um, At one point, there was discussions of raising the eligibility age for Medicare, which would cause the whole health system to cost more. Um, So, We were glad that some of these other pieces weren't part of this package, but, um, you know, are are mindful that there are other budget discussions still ahead. What would you say the key things that you have to look out for and lobby about are going forward? We're concerned about cuts to Medicare, um, cuts to Medicaid, whether or not things like the chain CPI that I talked about earlier that affects Social Security benefits could rear its head again. So we just don't think this is the appropriate way to talk about these you know, really important issues. How would you like to see them discussed? Well, I, I think on healthcare, we really need to talk about ways to make the system overall more efficient, not push costs um, onto seniors, but, but actually make the healthcare system work better. And on Social Security, it shouldn't be, you know, cuts to 90-year-olds that are, are paying for tax cuts. It should be a conversation about how to make that program more solvent for the long term for future generations and current retirees. Mm-hmm. If you look at, say, how American Zoomers are doing compared to Canadians or compared to Europeans, how do you think that you're faring overall? You know, I think the biggest difference is the health care cost difference between our country and other countries. We have some of the most expensive and, you know, as a share of GDP and, and also out-of-pocket expenses that, that any other country have. And so these costs and, and long-term care costs which are really not subsidized through Medicare at all um, and only Medicaid for the really poor, put our middle class and, and our seniors at a disadvantage, I think. Okay. On that note, all the best of luck to you and all American Zoomers for 2013. Thank you so much. Thank you, Libby. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. As Deborah mentioned, long-term care is another cause for concern. The law shelved provisions to cover it under Obamacare instead establishing a commission 
to look at the issue. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. We'll take a quick break and then return with some tips on how to keep those New Year's resolutions you've just made. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. Are you making New Year's resolutions this year? Most of us do, whether it's a plan to lose weight, quit smoking, or get organized. Unfortunately, most of us fail to follow through. I talked to psychologist Dr. Oren Amate about the best way to make those resolutions stick. Why do we do it now? Well, it's tradition. I mean, it, it's, it's one of the few universally, at least within North America and in many other countries, it's a universally accepted tradition. It's a way of connecting with others. We're social animals. So we can say we're part of something, a part of a greater thing. It's a silly tradition. Mm-hmm. Now, does the fact that we seem to always do this at New Year's, how does that impact the likelihood of, of doing what we resolve to do? Well, there's a problem with that. I mean, it would be good if we didn't just do it on New Year's. I mean, for people, not only is it tradition, but, you know, um, metaphorically, it's the start of a new year. So we think it's a new beginning. So people think this is my chance to finally do those things that I haven't ever done before, wanted to do, and so on. So in theory, it's a good time to do it. But in reality, it becomes a ritual. It's almost a running joke. Every year, which, you know, New Year's resolutions am I going to break this year? So when people get conditioned to be like that, it's, we're almost setting ourselves up to fail because there's not much weight put on it. <laughs> weight put on it. Now, I think that is probably the top New Year's resolution. Am I wrong? Um, it's, it's weight, yes, cutting down smoking. And now, especially with Zoomers, it's um, getting finances under control. Let's start with the weight. Obviously, it's something that's very difficult for people, and it probably gets more difficult as we get older. Right. And, and trying to do it in January is, is the hardest time because our bodies are programmed through evolution to actually store on the weight. Most people think that they put on a lot of weight over the holidays. Uh, the fact is when they measure it that most people only gain about a pound over the holidays. But the problem is that if they don't lose the pound, 20 years later, you have 20 extra pounds of weight on you. Right. Uh, but when they, say, when they talk about losing weight, they were already packing it on months before then, right, before the holidays. What's really important is to look at these resolutions. We'll talk about weight, for example, on three levels. One is long-term, like you're saying. You know, over 20 years, it's very easy to accumulate a lot of weight, um, or 10 years. Second one is medium range. For example, don't say, I'm just going to lose weight this year. Right. Set it per month, per two weeks, per three months. You know, have targets throughout the year. And then third is is the immediate, which is kind of the day-to-day, because here's the one thing that people uh, are just learning about now. It's been around for over 100 years. Freud talked about it um, over 100 years ago, um, and he called it uh, ego depletion. Today we're calling it decision fatigue, which is basically saying that throughout the day, as we make more and more decisions, as we are taxing our brain, we find it harder to resist the urges that come in front of us. Uh, our impulse control drops significantly because we only have so many resources or so much resource in our brain. So we're making decisions. We're, we're doing this and that. And then when it comes time later on to resist the food, the sweets at the end of the day, that, you know, that sugar rush we want, mm-hmm. it's very hard to do that. My understanding is that in terms of being able to stick to a resolution, like most other things in life, the best thing is just to break it down in small, manageable bits. Right. Um, the, the the keys to keeping resolutions or to increasing your chances, one of them is specificity, exactly. Okay. A second one is accountability. 
whether it's to a group of friends, whether it's to one person, we always stick to resolutions better when there's somebody there to kind of watch over us. When we have someone to answer to, we're so much more likely to stick with our resolution. We don't want to be embarrassed. We don't want to go back on our word. If we're doing it on our own, it's very easy to, you know, to fall down. Uh, the only problem is we have to choose the people properly because if we find somebody who's very likely to break their resolution, then we can get dragged down with them. Uh, the other one is to have kind of quasi-goals. Uh, if, if my ideal goal is, to say, going to the gym four times a week, I should reward myself if I go twice a week or once a week. Same with quitting smoking. Don't say I'm going to quit smoking. Reduce it. You're smoking a pack a day. Go down to, you know, 10 a day or five, five a day and so on over time. You build on your successes. Let's go to the getting the finances in mm -hmm. order. Most boomers I know are helping their children with right. buying a home and doing all those things. And many of us also have to help take care of our parents financially. Right. That crunch is very difficult. And, I mean, and, and that's the thing, though. That's where this helping, I mean, helping children is great. I, I'll be helping my children as well. But if I only have a certain salary, I shouldn't be living beyond my means. And for the last 20 years or so, since the 80s, really, people have just, you know, thrown that notion out the window of, of living within your means. And credit is so credit, easy, credit, credit. is ridiculously easy to get. And we've seen what happened when it comes to whether it's credit or the mortgage system. Um, it just, it, it led to collapse. People aren't really conditioning themselves to kind of just step back, think, do I really, really need this? You know, is there something more important, something I actually need versus something I want? And that's all about, that's, that's part of keeping a resolution. Again, is there anything different in the way that you should approach getting your finances in order? It's like with even an, an exercise routine. If I've never exercised before, I've never dieted before, I'm not going to do it by myself. I'm going to seek out an expert. I'm going to ask someone to help me. The same can be said for finances. Uh, there are many services available where they're done for you, you know free or for very low cost, and you can have somebody go through and help you get everything in order, which makes it seem less scary. I can't stress enough, and you, you hit upon it earlier about the specificity. We we're talking about why we do it in you know January first, New Year's. We can find every month or every few weeks a reason to kind of work toward the goal. Valentine's Day, I want to be fit for my current partner or my potential partner and so on. Every month, if we look on a calendar, we can find another reason to kind of keep moving forward every few weeks, every few months, set a target and keep working toward that target versus January 1st, one time out of 365 days. That way we keep the momentum going. Okay. I think that's a good note to wrap things up on. Thanks so much, Dr. Amate. Thank you so much for having me. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. I was dancing with my darling to the Tennessee wall. That's Patty Page, who passed away this week at the age of 85. In just a moment, we'll return with a tribute to her incredible career in both music and film. To my loved one. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time now for your International Arts Datebook. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. 
In New York City, the 50th anniversary production of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf has been extended by another month on Broadway. The play gained wider notoriety back in 1966 thanks to Elizabeth Taylor's performance in the movie. I hope that was an empty bottle, George. You can't afford to waste good liquor. Not on your salary, not on an associate professor's salary. The original play co-starred Canadian Arthur Hill. It's on stage at the Booth Theatre on West 45th Street. In Cambridge, Massachusetts, see the Tony Award-winning 1972 pop musical Pippin. Starring Canada's Andrea Martin, Pippin is directed by Diane Paulus. Pippin is at the American Repertory Theatre ahead of its Broadway run in April. To London, England, where Marilyn Monroe, a British love affair, continues at the National Portrait Gallery. And in Paris, an exhibition dedicated to the great Italian Renaissance master Raphael continues at the Louvre. That's the International Arts Date Book. I'm Jane Brown. If you're fond of sand dunes and salty This week we said goodbye to a great artist and one of the top-selling female singers of all time, Patti Page. Along with hits such as Old Cape Cod, she made Tennessee Waltz the third best-selling recording ever. Patti Page was the first singer to record using a technique known as double tracking, in which an artist essentially sings a duet with herself. Page's career included 15 gold records and three gold albums of more than a million in sales. She was the first singer to have TV shows on all three major networks. She also co-starred in several movies, including Elmer Gantry. On stage, she starred in Annie Get Your Gun. She was scheduled to receive a Lifetime Achievement Award at the Grammys this year. Right now, we'll hear what was without question her signature song, Tennessee Waltz. I was dancing with my darling to the Tennessee walls when an old friend I happened to see. I introduced her to my loved one, and while they were dancing, my friend stole my sweetheart from me. Remember the night and the Tennessee walls Now I know just how much I have lost Yes, I lost my little darling The night they were playing The beautiful Tennessee Tennessee walls What an old friend 
was Tennessee Waltz, the third best-selling recording of all time. It was sung by Patti Page, who passed away earlier this week at the age of 85. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Please come back next week when we talk to a woman about the pain of being shunned after a diagnosis of Alzheimer's. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Knight. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program director, John Bandrea. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.